0: This is the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast with your hosts, Chris Spear and Andrew Wilkinson. Each week, we'll be speaking with food entrepreneurs and people in the culinary industry. The following episode is one of our COVID Zoom sessions. If you're interested in learning more about our organization dedicated to helping people build and grow their food businesses, look us up on the web at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and.org, and on Facebook and Instagram at Chefs Without Restaurants. Now, enjoy the show. This is episode 32 of the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. On this episode, we have Chef Terrence Tomlin. He was the executive chef at Restaurant Hawthorne in Washington, D.C. In November 2017, he suffered two strokes while working at the restaurant, leaving the right side of his body paralyzed. He's been able to regain much of his strength, though he has not regained full use of his right side. Since then, he's gone on to compete in Baltimore's Mason Dixon Master Chef Tournament, and won the seafood competition at the Maryland Foodie Fest. Terrence currently lives and works in Chesapeake, Virginia, and does both private and public dinners under the name Terrence Tomlin, powered by Dinner with the Hortons. Thanks to this week's sponsors, Tyler Wright, Little Fig Bake Shop in Baltimore, Maryland, and Cafe Bueno in Frederick, Maryland. And no hard sell here, but if you want to support the show, our Venmo name is C H E F S W O. R-E-S-T-O-S. If you enjoy the show, have ever received a job through one of our referrals, have been a guest, been given complimentary Chefs Without Restaurants swag, or simply want to help, it would be much appreciated. Feel free to let us know if you have any questions. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.
1: Hey, everyone. This is Chris with the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And today I have with me Terrence Tomlin on. Terrence, thanks so much for coming on the show.
2: Oh, you're welcome. Thank you for having me.
1: So I always kind of like to let my guests introduce themselves. So why don't you tell everyone a little bit about yourself, who you are, what you're doing, and, um, you know, where are you, where are you cooking now, and how did you get into cooking?
2: I've been cooking since 1989. I'm the former executive chef of Hawthorne and um, a few other restaurants. I had two strokes at paralyzed my right side, but now I'm on the way back, and I've just been doing uh, keeping fine dining alive doing fine dining dinners down here in Chesapeake, Virginia.
1: You threw out a lot there uh, all at once. You jumped right in You got paralyzed, huh?
2: Yeah, the stroke. You know, the stroke. I had the stroke 11-26-17 on a Sunday at Hawthorne. So it's been a, a long, hard journey. But I cook all the food with um, still making plates with one hand. And um, down here in Chesapeake, Norfolk and Virginia Beach is going pretty good. People are really latching on to what I do. What are you doing down there? Do you have your own business? Uh, well, yeah, I do have my own business down here. I'm I'm called. It's uh I don't go by chef anymore. After I had the stroke, I just go by Terrence Tomlin, and I'm powered by Dinner with the Hortons. We're bringing the 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 best fine dining to people. A lot of people aren't used to it and even during this coronavirus thing my team goes in ahead of time and sanitizes the doors and knobs and you know sinks and everything and you know we're all gloved up and masked up and we go in and give them like a six course meal but we're not giving them a six course meal it's just plain stuff i'm giving them australian wagyu with like a blackberry port wine Denny. i'm giving them wild hawaiian opa You know, with with, uh, pea tendril and corn risotto. I pride myself on having access to things that people can't get. And after the stroke, I got deeper into the molecular gastronomy. So foods in season that's in Seattle, I think. I've been friends with them for a long time. They have mountain rose apples that only come out like in October. And they're expensive. But what I did was I saved them, I saved them. I like I froze like a few of them. and made like a a Mount Rose apple fluid gel to put over venison that's butchered locally. You know, there's a lot of stuff down here in Virginia. And it's funny because the local people, I made a white sweet potato mousseline. They were like, "What's a white sweet potato?" I was like, "Well, you got them in the store. They grow nonstop." So for a chef, it's like a mecca. Down here, you can find some really nice um, microgreens. Shout out to Little Wild Things Farm, and that I use when I was in DC. But down here, I use Everly Coastal Farms, and they've got every kind of microgreen that you want. And it feels good to be able to pair up the microgreen and the wine with the food, and explain to them, you know, what they're getting, you know, for their money.
1: So you're going into private people's homes? Is that how the yes. setup works? Yes. And you're still doing that right now in the midst of everything. Yes. So what are your customers asking you? Are they asking you about your precautions? Are you having to ask them? How has this whole coronavirus thing impacted the way that you're doing business?
2: I actually picked up. I was slow and I picked up. Like if a party is at five o'clock, two people from my team are in there at three o'clock. Sanitizing, wiping down, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. I have this one person, one person stands there, and he goes behind everybody, wiping everything down. And a lot of these folks are having it at the... Some of them are having it at the home in Chesapeake, which is a, the side where I'm on this very, very affluent area. They're also getting Airbnbs, and they're doing it. So when the sanitation is always key, and they see the way that things are set up, they... Start off with two people, and then they call and say, well, Chef, how much would it be to have 10 people? So I assure them. And they can also see what it is. Are people still inviting?
1: Are they still having dinner parties for 10 in this time of, you know, being told not to really hang out with people outside of your family? Are you seeing Mm -hmm. that they're still getting together with friends and having, like, three couples?
2: Well, it's mostly families that are doing it. Families that are quarantined together. They're just like, look, one lady told me, she said, I'm not spending any money on gas. I'm working from home. We're buying food. Can you just meet us there? I want to do something special. I said, no problem. So how big is your team? It sounds
1: like you have people. You know, I have a personal chef business and I work by myself. Sometimes I'll bring one person. How many people are part of your team?
2: There are nine people that's part of my team. But I have one executive sous chef named Sakina Ford. That goes by Chef Stiletto and a head server named um, Ariel Thatch. So, those two, I take them most places. Like, if we have a party of six, the both of them can handle six people. But wine, water, I make sure that they have crummers. You know, I'm trying to keep the, the fine dining thing alive, and it's going quite well.
1: Yeah, when I do six, I don't bring anyone with me. I do all the cooking, the serving, everything.
2: Yeah, well, you also have two hands. True that, true <laughs>
1: that.
2: I, 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 really, I literally need a right-hand person.
1: Yeah, I, I've never heard that expression so true, except in yeah. this case,
2: I guess, right? Yeah. Um, and the so, thing is, the thing is, right, I'm getting ready to get this robotic thing <laughs> that that's going to help my arm by my MO. Labs, a guy up at MIT developed it. It's like 60, 80 grand. Thank God for insurance. But uh, it helps you grip and grab things. There's tutorials of people who lost use of their right arms or right sides from strokes and they got it back. You know, I'm almost nervous to get my hand back. I'm almost nervous to get it back because I accomplished so much with my left. My left is not my dominant hand. I lost my memory. So the only only memory I have of my old foods are pictures.
1: Wow, completely?
2: Yeah. And now I have friends and family members. I kind of talk to them about it. So they go, hey, listen, I know you don't quite remember, but look at this. And they show, I'll give you an example. I did a beet ice cream, right? They showed me a beet ice cream that I did in 2014 that was the worst Cornell You ever want to see in your life, it looked like porridge, but it was red. Then they showed me one that I did last year. And it's almost like my moniker I go by um, in the book that I'm working on. is called A Beautiful Stroke. It's almost like I had to have a stroke in order to be smarter and innovative. My neurologist said everything that I was going to be in five years was stuck in the catacombs of my subconscious. And because I never slowed down, I couldn't think straight. That's very deep. And you know,
1: it's tough to say it, but I feel almost the same with this COVID thing. You wouldn't wish it for anything, right? But I think a lot of people are prioritizing important things, right? Like we're spending time with our family, you're getting back to cooking because there's nothing yeah. else to do. You're connecting with nature and going for walks. I mean, it's obviously horrible, but I do think there is some potential good things that can come out of this. And I'm hoping when we get on the other side of this, maybe we're all gonna be nicer people. You know, People seem to be genuinely helping each other, get yeah. by, survive, um, so looking on the bright side. So I guess similarly, this maybe unlocked something in you that you needed. It sucks yeah. that you need to have a stroke to, to get there.
2: Yeah, but you know what though? As you read my story, I was I was a I was abandoned in a wheelchair and I thought I would never be able to do it again. I got up and I started teaching myself how to walk. And I felt like forty-five times. But I kept getting back up. If I never had the stroke, I would have never I won the Maryland Foodie Fest, the seafood competition with one hand. I mean, I went down there at um, in Aberdeen. My friend, Carrie the Cannonball on Facebook, she drove to Aberdeen to bring me some micro celery. And when I got out there, I was so intimidated. I had no chef coat. And there was like, <laughs> there was about 150 chefs. And they were just doing their thing. You know, they had, the wind was blowing and... People got whole salmon, they got pizza ovens out there. And I was like, all I did, I had my sous chef, Justin Holloman at the time. I wound up doing scallops, but my sous chef took the corn off the cob and we juiced the corn and mixed that with the mango and smoked salt, tossed it with some al dente uh, orzo, folded the micro celery into it and put some of the best scallops that D.C. had to offer on top of that, and we won. I could not believe it. Was that your first big cooking
1: thing after you came back? Like, was that the first competition yes. you did or anything yes. like that?
2: Yes, yes. Because after after the stroke, I was still be in a wheelchair, but I would try, I was, like, doing videos, like, you know, trying to tell chefs to take care of yourself, don't smoke so many cigarettes, don't smoke so much weed, don't, don't drink so much, don't get stressed out. My sous chef at Hawthorne, uh, Delonte Wiseman, his mom, rest in peace. She passed away, so I was on the line by myself because I didn't have any other cooks. Because me and Harry he and I, we were able to knock out everything. Just he and I. But come on now, you know he's he's my sous chef. He's my friend too. Well I look like saying when you come back to work? I didn't say anything. But then that one fatal Sunday. When he did come back after a week, I've been working like a maniac all week. It just happened, and I'll never be the same.
1: So, was this a stress or lifestyle induced stroke? Is that what oh, led to it?
2: Yeah, it was stress. I wasn't. I was never been like a big drinker, you know. But it was it was the stress. It was the nicotine. I haven't had a cigarette since the day I had the stroke. Sounds like a wake up call for sure. Yeah, and you know what. It helped me mend a lot of relationships. Like, I, if you see the couple posts I put out in the past couple of days, naturally, Chef Cat from um, Just Call Me Chef, we were good friends and, and on the team together. You know, we wanted Mason Dixon together. I haven't talked to her in two years, and she was one of the judges. I mean, she was the presenter at the Man on Food Fest, you know, and just bad temperament and pride. And, things like that. When I was laying up in the hospital, I was mad at a lot of people because I felt like I loved, I loved them and you guys didn't come to see me. So I would just hold on to that grudge. But then lately, i just been like, look, I apologize. Whether they were wrong or I was wrong, I'm like, but I feel wrong for not addressing the issue, that, any issues that I had to just stop talking. And, that, and that's it.
1: Kat seems really cool. I didn't know her really well. But uh, she came on my podcast. She was one of our first guests on the podcast. Yeah. and Talked for, it seems like almost three
2: hours. And we had a really great conversation. She is, she's unstoppable. Because the just call me chef thing is, from what I know about it, it empowers all the women. Honestly, my team is full of women. And I prefer women over men. And my reason is because, you know, the women are strong but they also have that feminine touch, that caring. You know, to watch my sushi have played up now, and I'm showing her how to do it, I'm like really impressed. And Kat made fried green tomatoes that day that were made with so much love, like somebody's mom, and you could tell she has children. You know, she makes fried green tomatoes. She made it with so much love, and she actually made a peach butter that went on top of this creme brulee French toast that we did. I just really remorseful and sorry for the things that I've said or done. You know, all you could do is just be sorry and move on, whether people accept your apology or not. I know that I'm good in my heart. I didn't realize that you had done the Mason
1: Dixon Master Chef tournament, and you did. Yeah. you did 2017, the same year that I competed. The last year that I competed, um, uh-huh. I wasn't as skilled or as fortunate as you we got bumped out in the first round but uh it was a great experience it was really cool to see that you had competed the same year as i did i competed the year before and got bumped out the first time (laughs) it happens
2: We, we had
1: a really great battle we were battle bacon and we killed two of the three courses got super high scores and then just one of the courses it came down to we had a dish that had some kind of green It was either kale or Swiss chard. And I don't know, I guess one grain of dirt or grit or something didn't come out of it. And we had a judge that just hammered us on it and took like 75% of the points away because he got one piece of sand, you know, and it way swung, you know, the scoring in the opposite direction. And we just lost the competition, but you know, things happen. And it's, it's the same as a customer, right? Like, any given day, any given customer, you could put out 100 awesome meals and then serve mm. one customer raw chicken. Like, it happens and it sucks and you have to always be on point. So, yeah, competition cooking is something totally new. Yeah, and you know, something
2: different. It's like my old executive sous chef, um, Justin Holliman. This guy's like an encyclopedia. Like, you know, I have stuff in my head and I can say stuff. And he'll come up with it, and he goes hard in the kitchen. A couple times he was going so hard, I remember he was going to put something in the blender, and I put my hand over the under the blender. I was like, "No, no, 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 not yet, not yet," because he just so much wants to get the job done. He has a company called Palette, and you know he he's doing well. So you know, here I was, Chef Cat and Chef Justin, and there's me. So like we were a powerhouse going in we, we were like the underdog you know we got people rooting for us you know and we went in and we made it happen yeah we we lost the second round but we won that first one and that, that was uh, pretty incredible. It's tough it was a good experience I did it twice uh, I don't know that I would do it again yeah I really enjoyed that you know what the people that were coming up down on the bracket they're from former restaurants that I worked at that, you know, I had beef with the owner or whatever with them. Boy, I wanted to, we were watching people get eliminated. I was like, I can't wait to go up against you. Like, I want to show your, show the people that you're working for that I'll get you. Yeah, but in hindsight, 2020, I don't think that's like the way you should look at it. So what was your timeframe on recovery? You had
1: your stroke in 2017. How long did it take for you to start getting back to cooking in a professional
2: sense? It took about eight months because I didn't know what happened to me. I didn't know where I was. I didn't know. I Some people I couldn't recognize, things I couldn't remember. What happens, everybody's stroke is different. My brain was like, like a traffic jam and all my thoughts were trying to get to one exit. And I couldn't process things fast enough. I couldn't talk too good. When I had the stroke, I fell and knocked out five of my teeth on this side. So my my voice sounded funny. You know, I used to do a lot of staring. And I did a lot of crying. I did a lot of crying because everybody didn't know that I had a stroke. And there would be a client that would say, send me a picture and say, wow, we really had a good time this night. Can you make this for us again? And I didn't remember. And I was like, I tried so hard. To figure things out and you know it just didn't work out but 2019 will be the year that i don't never forget start off in january i was left my ex-wife left me in the wheelchair won the Maryland foodie fest went with um earl gray earl the pearl and justin Holloman. we flew to dallas texas we were in the um and the, the world food championship it has some opa set up from hawaii and made like a mole and uh, the molecular gastronomy thing wasn't too good they didn't they weren't feeling my chipotle foam <laughs> molecular gastronomy
1: is what killed us the first year in the uh, mason dixon tournament i had a partner and he knew that i did it and he insisted on doing a coconut water foam and it didn't work the way we had hoped and we really got gigged for doing that yeah, and I think we, we got bumped out of the first round because we tried to make a coconut water foam and it kind of fell flat.
2: Look, I tried. Look, Lecithin, I tried it. But Modern Pastry, I think that's the name of the company, they make the best stuff. Modernist Pantry? Yes, Modernist Pantry. They got this this Vera Foam and ice cream um, uh, stabilizer, the agar-agar, everything. My ice cream because like... At every dinner that we serve, I have an ice cream company called Tomlin's. It's a seasonal sweet earth treat. And, and my man, uh, Marty Durnham, honestly, from Grow Room Productions. It's our company. And it's ice cream like corn. And when I serve it at a dinner party, it's corn and fogwa. You know, corn ice cream. There's beet sorbet beet and strawberry. I do the beet so that I can, it keeps my blood pressure down. Celery and pineapple sorbet to go with chicken wings and you know, purple carrot, purple carrot and coconut ice cream. You know, it's hard to get it out there. So I just kind of like, so just to ship it is like a big deal. you got a lot going on. Oh yeah. Any big new things besides
1: the private dinners and
2: ice cream? The only big new thing is that um, I was asked by Chef Claudia from Switzerland to uh, be in a Paul uh, Paul Bocuse D- uh, Dior. and we were supposed to go to Estonia, and um, you know this coronavirus thing just shut it down. So being down here with. Chesapeake, Norfolk, and Virginia Beach down here, in Hampton. I'm um, I'm going after the corporate heads. You know, um, I did this dinner. 35 people showed up at the Renova Wellness Center where I go get hyperbaric oxygen therapy, acupuncture. There's a chiropractor, and I have a personal trainer. I did a dinner called The Power of Suggestion and laid out the menu at like 12 courses. and I didn't charge people, at all, and I learned this from um, Mick uh, Mackenzie Kiburi, from my little minor taco. That I did the best I could, and the people were sitting there and they were eating and it was like they're getting this fine dining on a bam- on a five inch um, bamboo plate. And when it was over, I talked to them all and I said, "Well, thank you very much for coming. Please pay us whatever you feel this meal is worth." And boy, did they pay. Because it was yeah. the power of suggestion. We got your email. Do you want to be invited to the next one? So you're going to. And I loved it, like, looking to look through the room after I said that. And people were like, conversing, like, you know, do you have you know, Venmo, Cash App, this and that? And they really took care of me. I was able to take care of my team, the Hortons, and um, have something for myself. So it feels good to be able to earn again. Because let me tell you, you find out who your friends and your family is when you have nothing.
1: And in general, it's rough out there. I mean, a lot of people in the personal chef private dining space, I think, thought they were going to be better off than they are. Myself included. Yeah. I thought I was going to have more business. And mm-hmm. I think in general, people are very skeptical still about bringing people in. And I'm mm-hmm. very concerned about going into people's homes. My in-laws live with me. They're both immunocompromised. You know, every time I leave the house, I have to worry about catching something and coming back and potentially killing them. So for me, right. it's deciding, is it worth it? I mean, obviously it's not worth it if you're going to potentially kill someone, but what's what's the risk factor involved there? And for me, you know, I'm just pretty much sitting at home now on week three without working. I want to throw some of the quick fire questions your way. We've modified it a little bit uh, based on kind of the way things are going right now. So yeah. I think everyone kind of had an idea they were going to be quarantined for a couple of weeks. What were some mm-hmm. of the things that you rushed off to the store to get to make sure you had on hand personally at your house to continue to cook at home? I know you're still getting food for customers, but what are some things that you have, wish you had,
2: or think people should have gotten? The biggest thing you got to do is make big comfort food dishes and eat off of them for a couple of days. Example, I made a big Big old pan of lasagna, okay? And made sure we had salad to go with that. I rushed out to get tomato sauce, rushed out to get cheese, rushed out to get rice, potatoes, sweet potatoes, plenty of meat. And the one thing that I knew is that if you just go to a Harris Teeter you just go to a Whole Foods, they're not going to change the price on anything because they have a corporation over top of them. The mom and pop butcher shop. They'll be like, listen, we got eight-weight chicken for $1.79. Okay, well, how many? Well, you know, it's two chickens. It's 10 pounds. Cool. Give me four. One day, you might want to have thighs. One day, you might want to have breasts. You know, break it down. The other day in here, did a big pan of macaroni and cheese and cut it in half. Had the macaroni and cheese at size, But then on the third day, like I had it in the freezer, took it and added ground beef and tomato sauce to it and some mozzarella cheese. I rushed to go get a grinder, a meat grinder. I ordered one from Finger Hut. So we were able to take the beef and whatever and run it through the grinder. We make our own burgers instead of buying ground beef. Even did it with the salmon. Make <laughs> salmon burgers. Very
1: nice. That yeah. sounds
2: awesome. Like your home, everybody's home should turn into a big cafeteria. You just got to act like you're feeding all the kids or something like that. I come from corporate food service where I was
1: cooking. I mean, we were serving a thousand meals a day, so I got very used to that. But it's been so overwhelming. I talked to a lot of friends. You know, we have six people in our house, and we're not used to cooking three meals a day for six people. You know, the kids are usually at school. My in-laws eat on their own, and now it just seems like all day we're just cooking and doing dishes.
2: I worked at the Ritz-Carlton in Pentagon City for five years. And when my chef, Matthew Morrison, left to go to Dubai, I was still in the restaurant, and I didn't get along with the chef de cuisine. So I asked to be demoted. <laughs> I asked if I could switch departments, and I went to the cafeteria, knowing we got 500 employees. So that's why I learned how to take chicken thighs and grill them, and then, you know, put some kind of chicken stock and lemon over the top of them, and have some have some good rice, and. You know, whatever kale I could have with the bacon and onion and, you know, whatever I had. I actually won five star of the quarter for 2008 for the work that I did in the cafeteria.
1: I posted on Instagram this morning, I made some pickles yesterday with leftover veg in the fridge. So I had carrots, Brussels uh-huh. sprouts, and fennel and did like a curry pickle on that. And then breakfast oh. this morning was uh, instant grits and I added yes. some cheddar to them, and then I threw some leftover kielbasa from dinner last night that I heated up on top of that, and then just uh, topped it with the pickles. You know, it's it's getting weird these days. Oh, things. that sounds good. And it was delicious, and what I did say is, you know, it sounds like a joke. You know, everyone's making jokes about quarantine cooking, but that dish actually said a lot about me, my cooking style, you know, it's three ingredients, essentially. But you have a blend of textures, you know, you've got creamy grits, you've got chewy kielbasa, you have crunchy vegetables, You've got fat, acid, salt, spice, you know, everything you really need in a dish, even though it seems like some weird stuff and it's just like this guy cleaning out his fridge, it actually is a dish that I think I could refine and end up serving, which is how many of my there dishes you start, you know?
2: Yes. and I hear you. there's a lot of jokes on the internet. None of it's funny to me. I'm like la- I'm laughing at the people who didn't shop the right way and that they gotta be out there at six o'clock in the morning trying to get in and look and i'm handicapped i can get in the store i get in this handicapped handicapping seniors i get in the store for anybody but i don't need to you gotta think smart. you're gonna be in the house for 30 more days come on dude if you're still making any kind of money you get that money and you buy food that'll stretch you make stews chicken and dumplings last night my niece i showed my show my niece how to make uh I saw how to make biscuits last night with self-rising flour. She's like, oh, this is great. Like, as long as we got buttermilk and frozen, as long as we got buttermilk, bacon fat, salt, and sugar, we could do it. And I'm, I was like this. I can't roll it out. I'm doing it with one hand. So my thing is, for anybody, what's your excuse?
1: A hundred percent. So what are some of your favorite culinary resources, cookbooks, or any favorite chefs that you have? Like, where do you get inspired and anything you recommend people looking into?
2: I recommend that people look at food and seasons when they open back up. I'm very inspired by the Pacific Northwest and the foragers that are there. It puts me in a mind state, makes me think about the Indians. That were there before any colonization, about the mushrooms, about the chicken of the chicken of, of the woods, about the lobster mushrooms, the, the chanterelles, the Saskatchewan chanterelles. I'm really, really, really taken with the agriculture of that area, the way that things grow, and being that like from or from from Seattle to Oregon, Utah. Anything that's on a, on that latitude, like that crescendo, I'm really taken by that. I lived in Vista, California for four years. And I'm still taken by, I still get loquats shipped. And loquats were a gift from the Japanese. And when I was living there, it was like up from 10 to 14, they would go wild. You know, and sometimes they're hard to get. I'm taken by food that's not the norm. I really went back to Alaskan king grab, but filling it with like a, a basil tomato gremolata. You know, I went back to that. I went back to finding the best lobster shells and pulverizing them and, and turning them into like a, a really thick foam with paddlefish or sturgeon caviar, America's best caviar. Uh, I met them in Dallas, Texas. They've got a farm down in Kentucky, the best caviar that I ever had. When we get out of here, can I come down and cook with you? Oh yeah, man. Yeah, definitely. Like I, I don't all I'm doing is getting myself, my body back together and and cooking. The Hortons, like I said, Terrence Simon powered by dinner with the Hortons. The Hortons were clients of mine. And I used to come down to Norfolk, catch the train, and they would have events. They had like the blind date dinners and this and that. So I brought my skills down here. When everything went down, they said to me over the phone, Why don't you move down here? We got there. I mean, the, the house is huge. And they gave me a room and let me be exactly what I'm their personal chef and let me do exactly what I need to do to get back. You can't ask for no, nothing better. like when they say people are sent, I never really like got into that but it really happened if it wasn't for them I don't know where I'd be you
1: have such an amazing story I'm so glad you could come on the show and I think that's that's a great place I think to end this discussion for now and you know I would love to talk to you again you know we're trying to, to get some of these sessions done right now in a timely manner as we're all kind of affected by what's going on in the world. And then I want to touch base with people again, once we get back out there and kind of back to, to normalcy and see how things have changed. But, um, it was so great to talk to you. It's inspiring. It's given me a lot to think about and, you know, please keep in contact with us and anything we can do for you.
2: All right. Well, I appreciate it.
1: Thanks so much for making the time and to all of our listeners, this was the chefs without restaurants podcast as always. You can find us at chefswithoutrestaurants.com and .org, and you can reach out to me directly at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week.
0: Thanks for listening to the Chefs Without Restaurants podcast. And if you're interested in being a guest on the show or sponsoring a show, please let us know. We can be reached at chefswithoutrestaurants at gmail.com.
2: Thanks so much.